When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. My brand new book, Midwife Pip's Guide to a Positive Birth, is now available. So much more than a book, this is a guide that allows me to hold your hand through your birth preparation journey. With over a decade of experience and knowledge packed in to ensure you really are empowered in the way you deserve to achieve a positive birth, regardless of the twists and turns that crop up. Make sure that you get your hands on Midwife Pip's Guide to a Positive Birth Book now and are empowered to have the birth experience that you deserve. To those of you who are season one listeners, welcome back. And to those of you who are new to my podcast, welcome to season two of the Pregnancy Wellness Podcast hosted by me, Pip. I'm a practicing midwife and enthusiast of all things women's wellness, especially when it comes to pregnancy and motherhood. Do you find yourself with lots of pregnancy questions unanswered? Do you feel that extra midwifery support would be useful to you? Do you fully understand how to enhance your pregnancy wellness? You are in good hands. This podcast is for you. Alongside this, I have also been busy creating a 12-month pregnancy journey support group and course to provide you with a whole package of expert wellness and pregnancy information to guide you every step of the way, leaving no stone unturned from trimester one right through to trimester four. And I'm now enrolling expectant mums in their first trimester. Spaces will be limited, so if you think this sounds like you, get in touch through my social media or at midwifepip.com. Over the upcoming 15 episodes, I'm excited to be chatting with expert guests and real women on this season to bring you honest, evidence-based information and top tips to navigating your pregnancy wellness journey. I hope these episodes leave you feeling positive and empowered. And don't forget, for more support and birth preparation, to check out my website, midwifepip.com, for your free birth preference plan download. I hope that you are sat comfortably and ready for the midwife chats and knowledge bombs to commence. In the UK, around one in five women have their labour induced. It therefore makes sense that we learn about induction of labour in the antenatal period. I'm sure you all know by now that I'm a believer of knowledge being power. And that's because I feel that having honest and evidence-based information allows you to be empowered about your birth choices and feel in control of the twists and turns that may crop up. And this is entirely true of induction. It can be offered for such a range of reasons and the actual process may also differ depending on your individual circumstance and hospital policy. On this week's episode, I'm joined by a fellow midwife 
and a midwife as passionate as I am about providing you with accurate and non-biased information. Midwife Marie-Louise, known as the modern midwife on social media, author, and most importantly, mummed her gorgeous little girl, Georgie Rose, is joining us today to chat about all things induction of labour, how you should navigate your choices, how to prepare for an induction, and what the process may look like for you. Marie-Louise has been an NHS midwife almost a decade and has extensive experience in delivering antenatal and postnatal education. She's provided expert advice on BBC Radio 4 Women's Hour, Channel 5 and ITV This Morning. And earlier this year, published a book with Penguin called The Modern Midwife's Guide to Pregnancy, Birth and Beyond. Marie-Louise has also recently released an online antenatal and postnatal course designed to support expectant parents from the moment they find out they're pregnant. She runs a social channel on Instagram and Facebook where she provides evidence-based advice on pregnancy, birth and beyond, all of which you can find linked in the episode bio. So welcome Marie-Louise and thank you so much for taking time to join us on this week's episode. Thank you so much for having me. How are you? Yeah, really well, thank you. Um, I know life is crazy busy for everyone at the moment, so I'm really grateful for you giving us some time to chat about this subject that I'm sure you also get loads of questions about from, from women on social platforms. Yes, definitely. In fact, I think induction of labour is probably one of the um, most common questions that I get. Yeah, totally agree. Totally agree. Now, we spoke about before, Marie, I know we've done some chats about induction, and actually so many more women are induced than we perhaps realise, which can be quite useful when you're going through it yourself. Yeah, definitely. It is really common um, in the UK, and it is actually rising as well. Um, and around about 20 to 25%, depending on um, where you live, and we'll talk a little bit more about that um, later on about where you live, because it does really vary. But um, yeah, the induction of, of labour rate is, is quite significant, you know, up to one in four women. So yeah, 25%. That is a lot of women. And there's probably quite a good chance that if you are pregnant at the moment, that you do know someone that um, has either been offered an induction of labour or has already had an induction of labour with a previous baby. Definitely. And I guess from my point of view, Marie, I always think that induction is probably rising because perhaps people are able to get pregnant in the modern world that perhaps years and years ago may not have been able to. Um, and also we are doing loads of amazing work to help reduce the risk of things like stillbirth um, and poor outcomes for mums and babies. And so that's where sometimes that induction rate can start to creep up. But actually, it's worth balancing that, isn't it, with, with the outcomes that we're looking at improving? Yeah, exactly that. And that's part of our job, isn't it, is just constantly risk assessing um, and saying, actually, which option is more beneficial to a woman and also to her baby. And and that is a, a, a constant juggle. And that is one in which, you know, I, I talk about this all the time, about how people view risk differently um, and something that I might find really safe you might be horrified at and something that I am horrified at you might find really safe um, so it's just about I think one of our main jobs is for us to be able to relay the information and the facts accurately and then encourage women to make informed and their families to make informed decisions 
about what they would like to do because then we can remove ourselves and we've and we've done our job of of helping them to balance that risk but that's that's the the beauty in a way that the the power is always in the woman's hands and i always say you are the birth boss like i'm not here to tell you what to do with your birth i can help you give you lots of information and research but you're the birth boss yeah, that's so important. The control is completely in women's hands, isn't it? Sometimes people expect um, explain they felt out of control, but actually it's your body. So if you say, yes, it happens. If you say, no, it doesn't. You are always in control of these decisions. But like exactly. you said, it's about having that information, isn't it? And that's, yes. that's the missing loop sometimes. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Now there's loads of different reasons, isn't there, why people may be offered or recommended an induction of labour. What are some of the most common reasons that, that you've kind of come across in your practice? Yeah, so I think currently the most common reason that women are, are offered an induction of labour is post-dates. Uh, so post-dates meaning that the, the pregnancy um, has gone on for longer than expected. Now, that is also debatable. Um, the length of a pregnancy is debatable. Um, and the way in which we calculate how long a pregnancy uh, should go on for is also debatable. Having said that, the majority of women do go into labor spontaneously before 42 weeks. So we expect a pregnancy um, to last a maximum of, of 42 weeks. Um, so that is one of the most common reasons, and that's one that, that, that I have seen regularly in my practice. Now, the other reason that is actually on the rise at the moment um, is reduced fetal movement. So um, the baby's not moving as much um, uh, towards the end of pregnancy. So there have been new care pathways. There's been new research. Um, and actually, if I'm really honest, um, no one is entirely sure what reduced fetal movement really means. Um, so with reduced fetal movement, um, in a lot of hospitals, um, they have decided to put a care pathway in place whereby if a woman reports reduced fetal movement on a, on a number of occasions, um, and that does vary around uh, different units as well, depending on where you live in the country, um, but they will perhaps then offer you an induction of labor if you are term, meaning that you're more than 37 weeks pregnant and you've had repeated episodes of reduced fetal movement. Um, the other reason is um, if your waters have gone and if you don't go into labor. So I think for me anyway, those are probably the three most common reasons. What about you, Pip? Yeah, definitely. I agree. They're quite often um, common reasons that women crop up. And then there's sort of medical complications. So, for example, for women who maybe are gestational diabetic or there are other concerns in their pregnancies, perhaps they've had some bleeding or they've got a medical condition. And the thing with induction is I always like to think of having like a pair of weighing scales. And on one side, we've got the benefits of keeping your baby in. Yes. And on the other side, we've got that risk of keeping your baby in. And it's yes. constantly weighing that balance, isn't it? What is what are the benefits and what and what are the risks? And it's con that constant kind of weighing scale balance. And yeah, that's a lovely analogy. I'm gonna pinch that one. <laughs> yeah, I love it. That just I'm quite a visual person. So that, that for me helps me make these these kind of decisions in life, not necessarily just about things like induction, but but just yeah. in life. And interestingly, a couple of the, the most common ones we spoke about, so um the reduced movements and the going post-8s, 
the the benefit and the risk balance is very much great if we can keep growing your baby and nourishing your baby in the womb but actually Mm -hmm. is the percent of perhaps not nourishing your baby quite as well might we be better doing that on the outside Mm -hmm. and does that mean that perhaps the risk of stillbirth is creeping up now we know that at 42 weeks of pregnancy that risk of stillbirth or early neonatal death is about two to three in a thousand births. So to me, that sounds like quite a small number. To some people, like we said, that might feel like quite a large number. Mm-hmm. And we know that as pregnancy continues past that, that risk increases. Mm-hmm. Now, I don't know about you, but I have heard so many times we state that from 42 to 43 weeks, the risk doubles. Do you hear that all yeah. the time? Oh, I've heard that so many times. Yes. Oh, super. And that sounds terrifying. Yes. It? Like if you carry on your pregnancy, your risk of stillbirth doubles. That's, that's like horrific. Yeah. And what we forget is that, yes, it doubles. That is correct. It's two times greater. However, the number goes from two to three in a thousand to about four to seven in a thousand. So again, that absolute risk might still feel quite small to some women or quite large to others. And it's how we interpret statistics, especially around induction, is so important, isn't it? Really, really important. And, And that's the thing. We are talking about very small numbers here and of course you know I don't want to take away from the fact that what we're talking about is is very serious and the risk of neonatal death you know it does it does sound very scary but we also have to relay specific numbers when we use phrases like double so double from what because actually that's the key part of um what what a woman needs to know in order to make an informed decision because as I mentioned at the beginning we all view risk so differently. So those numbers might be far too big for one woman. And actually they might be, she might be like, oh, that doesn't sound like a lot. Actually, I would prefer to continue on my pregnancy. And that's fine. But yeah, we need to be very specific um, with the finer details because that is so important to relay that. Definitely, definitely. And also everyone's an individual. So it might be that actually in one woman's pregnancy journey, there's some other risk factors or complications that actually mean that 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 is maybe a slightly higher risk than others. And also our priorities are all different, aren't they? So for one woman, it might be that having having a water birth is really imperative to her experience. To others, they might be like, well, I'm not too worried. So it's about evaluating all of your wishes and desires and balancing those risks. And that's why just having a good conversation with your obstetrician is so important. Exactly. And the other note that I just want to make as well on this is that um, there are always other things to consider. And I suppose this is more of a a medical conversation in one way. But the thing is, is it possible that there is a link between prolonged pregnancy and there being some concern or, or the baby having some sort of problem that we don't yet know about? Because One of the things I think is important to also look at when we're talking about induction of labor is look at and think about spontaneous labor. So what do we know about spontaneous labor? We know that we believe anyway, one of the reasons that a woman goes into spontaneous labor is um, due to the signals that the baby sends off. And it's like this hormonal dance as I sometimes explain it uh, to women, but the baby, uh, is partly responsible for that. So if the baby is not sending off those those signals, 
is, is there something else going on there as well? Like, you know, is it is it to do with the baby? Is it to do with the length of the pregnancy? Like, we don't have all of this information. So we only have these statistics to tell you about these numbers, but we don't always have all of the information that we could perhaps know about a, an unborn baby and about a woman. So I, I do think that it's important to think of this from an aerial perspective and to look at everything as well, rather than just say, okay, yeah, you know, you're 43 weeks pregnant. There's a, there's a, a big risk that you will have a stillbirth, which is what we hear all the time. You know, I, what I'm trying to say is it's important to look at the wider picture um, and to understand what happens uh, between mother and baby. And, and the other thing is if we are telling women this information, how is that making them feel? And, and is that alone preventing the body from doing all of the things that it is also meant to do? So um, yeah, how we relate things is very important. And yeah, the facts that we tell women, I think they need to be presented well enough so that a woman, it doesn't feel uh, pushed into to making a certain decision. And then her body's not given the best opportunity to perform at its best. Oh, I totally agree. And I, this comes down to an area that I know we're both really passionate about. And that is women understanding their bodies and the processes yeah. of their bodies. And then yes. actually we can always look at induction from a different angle in that it's trying to encourage our body to continue on that natural physiological pathway. And I think yeah. we can understand that and we know how to support our bodies in the induction process as well, don't we? Oh yes, absolutely. And that, that's something that I often tell women that are, that are feeling a, a bit disappointed because induction of labor does get a bad rep. Yeah. And I don't think, you know, and I think there's a lot of things that you can do to have a positive induction experience. Um, and yeah, one of those things that I do always talk to women about is understanding spontaneous labor and how to support your natural female physiology, because I think that's really empowering rather than then feeling like, right, so I'm going for this induction of labor, all of these things are going to be done to me and I'm going to feel pretty helpless because no one wants that. That's not a nice feeling and it doesn't have to be like that. When you understand your body, you can, you know, there's various different things that you can say and do and put in your birth plan that supports your body and um, empowers you to have the best birth possible. Yeah, that's such a good point, actually. And I think one of the, one of the take homes from anyone listening to this, any expectant mums that are being recommended induction or just want to prepare in case, is exactly that, in that it can still be such a positive and empowering experience that you are completely in control of. But having that knowledge and that understanding and asking the right questions so you know your choices and that making those informed decisions is so, so key, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, I really like using the, the brain tool, um, Marie-Louise, with my women who are trying to make decisions. Is that something you use? Yes, all the time. <laughs> it's brilliant, isn't it? So just, just, <laughs> just to run through that acronym for anyone who's not familiar, it's BRAIN, so B-R-A-I-N, and the B is your benefits, the R is your risks, your A is your alternatives, your I is what your intuition is telling you. And oh my goodness, women's intuition is so powerful, isn't it? Especially when it comes to babies and birth. Definitely. Um, and then N is nothing because we've always got the option as well of doing nothing or just watching and waiting and, and seeing what happens. So that can be a really nice way of asking five questions to your obstetrician or your midwife if you're offered something to make sure you really make a comprehensive informed choice. Yeah, exactly. And, and you can use, that's it, you can use that not just for induction of labour, for absolutely anything. 
Um, and I actually use it in my daily life sometimes. <laughs> yeah. Nothing to do with me. I'm like, right, so what's the benefits of this? What are the risks of this? You know, and you run through it. It is such a helpful tool to have. Um, and then when you only you can decide what happens. So once you have all of that information, then you can move forward. Whereas sometimes I think when you're pregnant, um, you, you are a little bit overwhelmed and you are very vulnerable. Um, and it is a difficult time, especially in these current times. I think a lot of women are feeling more fearful. They uh, are feeling like they've got a lack of control. And this is one way of regaining some level of control and also feeling less vulnerable because you're able to clearly see, okay, these are the benefits. These are the risks. These are the alternatives. Now I need to listen to my instinct, to my intuition. And actually it's very... really scary you and I know Pip that birth quite often does not look like that birth can look very peaceful and very calm which is why quite often you do have the opportunity to do nothing because it's not a massive emergency even if you're being recommended an induction of labour it's not uh, an emergency absolutely yeah absolutely that that novelty of time really does work for induction because we know that induction, unfortunately, as we'll go on to, can be a bit of a lengthy process. But what that means is that you've got that that time beforehand and during the process to be asking these questions and yeah. making sure you you understand. Should we just outline what what an induction process kind of could look like? Because it is going to be different for every woman. But if we kind of just summarise some of the things and some of the terms that you might hear about um, to anyone yeah. listening, then then it might just make it feel a little less intimidating if it crops up. Yeah, exactly. So the first things first is the induction of labour process does vary, as you've mentioned, around the UK. Um, and the different drugs that are that I will mention do vary. And the reason for induction varies. So that then, of course, means that the process of induction may well vary. But we'll talk about if, for example, one of the most common reasons, which is if you've gone overdue, um, generally, this is, is what it can look like in a lot of places. So First of all, if you, um, yeah, if you are 41 weeks plus, depending on where you live, you'll probably be offered a sweep. Um, and that is not normally included in the induction of labor process uh, per se, because it's not seen as a medical intervention. However, I always explain to women that a sweep is still some sort of an intervention because we're still doing something to your body. Yeah. Um, so uh, you will probably be, be offered a, a, a sweep and you might be able to have a few of those. So that's just where a midwife finds a cervix um, and tries to stimulate the cervix. And we call it a stretch and sweep. So if we're lucky enough, we might be able to get a finger in to actually stretch that cervix um, as well. And uh, yeah, the aim of that is to send messages from the cervix to say, ta-da, um, <laughs> wake up, we need to go into labor pretty soon. Um, and yeah, so that can be one of the first things that you're offered. Going forward from that, if, if that doesn't work and you don't go into labor, um, then the aim is to um, get your cervix to a place that it reflects the beginning of labor. Um, so during the beginning of labor, your cervix will start to soften, it will start to dilate slightly, and it will start to do all of these, these various different things to help your body go into labor and for your body, your baby, sorry, to pass through um, the cervix. 
Um, now, before labor, the cervix is quite hard, especially if you haven't had a baby before. And a lot of changes need to happen in order for your body to go into labor and, and continue to progress in labor. And that is the aim of the prostaglandins. So prostaglandins are given vaginally. So they're given in that, that local area. So that's how I always explain it to women. Um, and they can give in, be given in various different forms. So some places use a gel, some places use a pessary um, that is like a really tiny tampon that sits um, just behind the cervix and it gradually releases hormones. And those hormones are the, the prostaglandins. So as mentioned, the aim here is to soften your cervix and for it to start to behave like it is in early labor. And then the next step, um, generally, and sorry, this process can be done on a ward, and you may have a midwife that is looking after you and a few other women. Now then, generally, the next um, process is having your waters broken. So hopefully what's happened is that gel or that pessary has softened your cervix, it's dilated your cervix a little bit enough for us to be able to break your waters. Um, and that is done on generally on labor ward um, and you will have one-to-one -one care with a midwife. Is that the, the, that's what's only ever happened in the units that I've worked in. Pip, is that the same with you? Your brain needs support and new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L-theanine and caffeine. Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y dot com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. You? Yeah, absolutely. Once we've kind of broken your waters, we're properly committed to meeting your baby sooner rather than later. So it's so important that women have one-to-one -one care with a midwife at that, at that stage. Whereas with the prostaglandins, um, we are not committed so much to meeting your baby imminently. And so that midwife might be caring for a few women and that's absolutely fine. Yes, yes, exactly. Um, and the other thing to mention, actually, during the, the stage of when you have your prostaglandins, um, you may or may not start contracting. So some women, it works very quickly and they start contracting. And for other women, that isn't the case. But, but either way, you hopefully, and in most cases, we'll get to a place with the prostaglandins that we will be able to break your waters. So don't worry, if you start contracting, great. If you don't start contracting, great. You know, your body might just need a little bit more time. Both of those are okay. So um, then you'll have one-to-one -one care with a midwife and um, we'll also be monitoring your baby throughout, sorry. So um, we always keep an eye on, on babies throughout induction because it is a form of intervention. So you'll probably be on a CTG monitor um, and that just gives us a printout of your baby's heart rate. Some of them are actually all digital now, so nothing prints out of, of, of a machine, um, but we can see it very clearly on the graph. And that gives us an analysis of the baby's heart rate. And it tells us um, if the baby looks very happy, um, if it looks like maybe we need to change your position or do something to make, the baby a, to make the baby a little bit happier and see if there's anything else that we can do to adapt your environment um, to make sure that we maintain a normal reading of your baby's heartbeat. Then going forward, we hope that your body goes into labor and starts doing um, things by itself once the waters have been broken. For some women, that, that doesn't happen and we need to move on to the oxytocin, so the synthetic hormone drip. Now that is given into the vein and 
um, we do, once again, we need to monitor you and your baby very closely throughout this process. And um, because it's, it's given into the vein, although it's given very slowly, um, and we increase it over every half an hour and we give it very, very gradually. So it's not like we suddenly give you this massive hormone drip and give you this big dose and all of a sudden you're gonna be experiencing these really strong contractions. Although for some women, it works very quickly. A lot of the time it is still uh, a gradual process that we slowly increase and we monitor you and your baby throughout. So if there's a time where you're like, hang on a minute, you know, I'm really uncomfortable with this. Uh, you just chat to your midwife about it. We can talk about pain relief, what we need to do to accommodate you to have a positive experience. Um, and then after that, we hope that the induction of labor will progress and that you will have nice, regular, strong contractions um, and get to a place where you are able to have a vaginal birth. Absolutely. And actually just by understanding, I think, some of those processes, it makes it sound a bit less scary and that actually these things are just encouraging what your body would do. So your prostaglandins are your early labour, having the yep. waters broken. Well, our waters go spontaneously, so it's just mimicking that. And then the exactly. oxytocin infusion is mimicking our body's natural oxytocin buildup. So it literally is trying to kind of copy what our bodies might have done anyway. It's not something that we need to be really scared about. And also it means that when we prepare for a induction of labour process, actually it's the same as when you were preparing for a spontaneous labour process. So all those yeah. things you may have wanted to do and, and have can absolutely copy across. Yes, exactly. And I think that's it. When, when exactly like you said, uh, when you explain these things and, and how we are just trying to mimic what your body does naturally, it's not like we're doing these weird, wild and, you know, crazy things to your body that, you know, yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, I think that is helpful. And understanding the process is absolutely key because then you can participate in the decision making. Yeah, 100%. I couldn't agree more. The other thing I'll just mention is that for some hospitals or for some women, um, they, we're doing more and more balloon um, catheter inductions. Yeah. And these are essentially, instead of a hormonal method of induction, it's a mechanical method. So we yeah. insert a little, um, little tube, usually made from some form of plastic, into the cervix and then inflate a balloon. I'm doing like and things with my hands in <laughs> you can't but it's so much easier to explain with your hands and we essentially inflate a balloon of sterile water that sits on top of your cervix putting pressure to mechanically open it rather than a hormonal method and yes. for some women that's just thought to be a safer method for example if you've had a previous cesarean section or actually if the prostaglandins aren't successful opening your cervix it's another mm -hmm. option. It's another stepping stone to helping you achieve a vaginal birth if that is what you wish. And it's just yeah. another great tool. So it's something that might also be, be worth having a chat with your obstetrician about if you think you prefer the sound of that option. Yeah, exactly. And I, it is becoming more and more popular mm -hmm. um, now. And I think um, for some women, it works fantastically. Um, yeah. And for other women, you know, it doesn't work as well as the hormonal. It just depends on what you, the, where your body is at and, what, and um, what is tapping. But it's definitely a conversation and, and something to ask uh, your obstetrician exactly. Yeah, definitely. So um, we hopefully reassured people that an induction process is just us um, trying to encourage that normal physiological pr process for women's body. So how can we prepare for a positive induction 
And um, because when you go into spontaneous labor, you don't have a few days sat on the ward waiting for things to happen. And sometimes an induction can feel a little bit like a lot of waiting around um, mm-hmm. and it can feel for some women quite lengthy. So, yeah. so what would be your kind of recommendations to make that a, a positive experience? Yeah, so I think understanding what happens to your body naturally is a great place to start because that we are working with your body. So when we understand your body and when you understand your body more, most importantly, um, you are then able to work with it to the best of your ability. So um, understanding how oxytocin works in your body and understanding how you need to feel to support your natural female physiology and all of that hormonal cocktail and that dance that, that happens, what can you do to get to a place where you're supporting your body? Now, uh, very, very briefly, um, I won't go into to great detail because we're not necessarily here to talk all about spontaneous labor, but very briefly, oxytocin is the main hormone that's responsible for labor. And that's why we use that towards the end of an induction process and the, the synthetic hormonal drip. Now, in order for your body to release this, you need to feel really calm, relaxed, comfortable, confident, and you're not gonna feel all of those things throughout your labor. I certainly didn't feel all of those things throughout my labor, that's fine. But in order um, for your body to start producing it and to maintain it, it's okay to have patches where you have little moments where you worry, you know, can I do this? What's going on? But overall, um, we want you to be in a calm and relaxed state. And we want to facilitate your body to, to release oxytocin. Now that might look like to you having an eye mask on and blocking everyone else out and listening to hypnobirthing tracks. Or um, to you, it might look like having all the lights on, having a bit of a, some dance tracks on, you know, and I've actually seen women do this, have dance music on and having a little dance in their, in their, behind their bay and they're going for it. That's fine. You know, I think I love hypnobirthing. I'm a, hypno qualified hypnobirthing teacher but I don't think that you have to use a certain method to get the birth you want I think it's very individual um so yeah making sure that you look at what can I do that makes me feel calm confident and relaxed that's a great place to start with with positivity the other thing is um making sure that you fully understand your options and i know that pip and i have have just gone over this and over this and over this but it's because it's so important in in order for you to have a positive we now know that birth experience is actually less about what happens and the length of labor and even how painful labor is what we know is that positive birth experience relates to women being in control. And you can only be in control if you understand your options. So ask questions, ask as many questions as you can possibly think of. And no question is ever a silly question. You know, like I've met women that are, for example, lawyers or even engineers. I wouldn't have a clue if you put me in a court of law and expected me to know what was going on. Or if you put me in uh, some sort of engineering job, you know, I wouldn't have, a. I don't know what's underneath the bonnet of my car. We don't expect you to know and to have all of the answers. And sometimes I think women worry that they will come across as, not understanding how to parent their baby because they don't know their options already surrounding birth. It's not a reflection on your ability to be a mother, the fact that you don't know what drugs we use during your labor. It's okay to ask as many questions as you need to ask in order to get to a place where you feel confident that you can call the shots. 
And you don't even necessarily like, you know, you, you can just know we use prostaglandins. You don't know, have to know the ins and outs of every single little thing. And, you know, even the study it, you just need to know what is available to you, what those things do to you, your body and your options going forward from, from there. And I think bringing stuff in, you know, if you are planning on, on having a low risk birth and then you're being advised to have an induction labor, or if you've had a medicalized pregnancy and you're being, it doesn't matter bring something from home in with you. Um, so even if that is your own pillowcase, it's very easy to transport, you know, and it might just make you feel a bit more at home. We are primal creatures really. And especially when we're birthing our babies. So smelling your own pillowcase, I know it sounds like a weird thing, but honestly, it does make a difference. And we know, I can never say this word. I think it's olfactory <laughs> um it's in your nose but anyway it's highly highly sensitive which is why whenever anyone sprays charlie red in Superdrug, i'm 14 years old again in the pe changing room <laughs> um but there's such a strong link between um uh experiences and smells now i don't know about you but one of my favorite places in the world is lying on my pillowcase so <laughs> bringing in something that reminds you of feeling calm and feeling relaxed whether that be your pillowcase, whether that be a bit of lavender oil, um, sage, I don't know, whatever that is, but bringing something in that makes you feel calm and relaxed Absolutely. can really help you to have a positive experience because we need to change that dynamic of you coming into hospital and having to hand over your power. Actually, you're bringing in a little bit of home with you. You're asking all the questions that you need to and you're calling the shots and making the decision. 100%, I love that. And we're just there to support that process really. So if, exactly. if you feel good having, like you say, your own sense, and let's be honest, hospitals don't smell incredible. <laughs> they don't no. smell very warm and welcoming. So actually adapting that is a really, really powerful thing that you can do. It's your, whether yeah. you're in your own room or a little, a little um, base space, that space is yours. That's your little mini home for that period of time that you're there. So you do what on earth you like with that. You put your yeah. fairy lights up if that's what you want. You have your headphones in and play your music or your podcast or, or whatever, yeah. listen to the radio. You do whatever you want to do with that space. It's yours to own. That's it. That's what I always explain to women. When I show them like their bed space, I say, this is your bed space. This isn't my bed space. This is your area. Like I just work here, yeah. <laughs> but you know, here's your next like home from home. And I think that's, it's really important that we re relay that to women that you're not coming into our territory and we're doing things to you because that is sometimes how it can feel. Um, there is no, you know, no one owns this territory. When you go into that bed space, that bed space is yours. And we're not going to judge you if you want to put up your fairy lights or if you want to have your positive affirmations or, you know, if you want to strip down to your undies and dance around to Fat Boy Slim. I don't care. And most midwives do not care. Um, <laughs> as long as you're happy. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, it's a, and it's touching into our senses, isn't it? Thinking about all your senses and, and what makes you feel comfortable. You can always go through them, you know, what do you want to see? What do you want to smell? What do you want to touch? What do you want to taste? What do you yes. want to hear? And just, just touching into all of those and, and creating that positive atmosphere, just like you would for a spontaneous labour environment. You're just recreating that. And I guess one of the benefits of induction is you can plan it. You know, you've got a date and a time and you know the location. So you can yeah. plan for it. <laughs> That's it, exactly. And that can be quite reassuring in some ways to, to some women that they like having that day and that time. I mean, I have to caveat it with that can change depending yeah. on how busy the unit is. But, you know, most of the time we accommodate if we've given you a time and a, and a, and a date, um, it is going forward from, from there. 
One other thing that I always uh, recommend that women have um, or request uh, if their hospital has one is a birthing ball. Mm. Like these things are just so brilliant. They help you to maintain um, your mobility. They help take pressure off of your lower back. A piece of research um, showed an association between a reduction in cesarean section and use of a birthing ball. I mean, it's a link, so it's not direct proof. Um, however, it's, a, it's worth noting. Um, and uh, it can, you can also be monitored on a birthing ball as well, because we do need to monitor your baby as mentioned throughout the process. So if you have a birthing ball, it gives you the opportunity to get out of the bed as well. And if you don't feel like standing, you've got something really comfortable to sit on. Definitely. I do believe that beds are for sleeping and I don't know about you, but during your induction process, unless you are asleep, you really want to be upright and active and mobile and hydrated and nourished because that's exactly. going to help your labour to progress and also your baby to get in a really good position, which is essential for, for labour and birth to hopefully go as, as smoothly as possible. So definitely lots lots of things to plan for when it comes to, to birth and also induction induced birth. Yeah, exactly. Now, Marie, anyone that comes on my podcast, I always ask for three top tips. So sorry to throw you on the spot a little bit, but you, you haven't escaped. So okay. <laughs> no worries. <laughs> yeah. Although I think as midwives, it's hard to, to narrow things down to three when we're really passionate. But um, could you give us yeah. your three tips to an expectant mum listening to us today who has been offered an induction and perhaps isn't sure what to do or how to plan for that? Yeah, so I think the top number one thing that has been the running theme throughout this podcast is understand the process. So understand what may happen and when that may happen and what your options are. So what might happen? What type of methods are, um, is your, are your care providers suggesting that you are induced via? Is it prostaglandins? Okay, in that time, are you able to have someone with you or not? Um, what type of monitoring do they offer? Uh, going forward from that, if you can't have someone with you, when can your birth partner come? Because when you're in in hospital and you're going through all, all of the, you know, you're about to meet your baby, like this is absolutely huge. You need to have already thought about what leading up to that event of you meeting your baby, you need to understand um, the, the care pathway and you need to understand what's going to happen because otherwise it can be quite daunting. And you're like, hang on a minute, um, I didn't realize that my waters were going to be broken, you know, so soon. I actually thought that we had a little bit more time. And you, you want to fully understand the recommendations of that of that hospital. Definitely. Um, so nothing's ever a surprise. Um, and then also the other thing is, I would say, make sure that you work with your body, because as mentioned, this is what we are trying to do. We're always working with your body. So when you too work with your body and you do feel as calm as you possibly can, um, that makes such a big difference. And remembering as well that you are your body and your baby's expert. We can only tell you a certain amount of things about yourself. So, you know, if you're having and you're, you're told about your induction of labor process and you're told, oh, it might take however long to start working. And then 20 minutes later, you're in pain. You know that you're in pain. So yeah. don't necessarily listen to us when we're like, okay, it's probably going to take a few hours. You, you're, what's happening to you is what's happening to you. So, you know, you, you may be given various different bits of information. We are all unique and we can only go by what the research says and now experiences midwives. 
but you you may have a slightly different experience and that is okay um just talk to us about it and yeah remember that you are the birth boss I love that birth boss it's brilliant <laughs> yeah I think I've been using saying it for a while to women but I just think it's really good at, at hammering home that you just call the shots all the time. And I can't emphasize that enough because as mentioned, one of the most important things for women to have a positive birth experience is for them to be in control. So just, you know, giving that power all the time, just, yeah. just own it. And when you feel like you can't own it because also that's fine, ask away, ask those questions. So sorry, that was probably about four, maybe five, but I knew <laughs> <laughs> that would happen. That's the trouble when you're passionate about something, but no, that's brilliant. Yeah. And I really hope that our chat today has just helped to reassure some mums out there who are perhaps anxious about the, the prospect of an induction actually realise that they don't need to be and there's loads that we can do. It will still be a really positive, empowering experience for them. Yes, yeah, exactly. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you so much. It's been lovely to chat. We'll speak soon. Speak soon. Thank you. Bye. Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode. I really hope you enjoyed it. If you found it helpful, then please hit subscribe and leave a review. It really does make a huge difference to the number of women we can reach out to and empower. For daily free information, inspiration, or details on our bespoke antenatal education courses, head over to my social medias at midwife underscore pip and my website, midwifepip.com. I would love to hear from expectant mums who have found this episode useful and wish to embrace further support on their wellness journey. Pop your details in the Your Pregnancy Journey tab on my website and I will be back in touch. Thank you and see you next time. Hi, my name is Kay Adams, and to be honest, I'm not so good with the aging process, so I enlisted my old chum, the filter-free Cara McKenzie, to advise. Could you imagine being a porn star? The room would need to be really hot for me to strip <laughs> off. To be honest, she's not much help, but she is rather amusing. And along with some great guests, Joe Brand, Andy Oliver, Anton Dubeck, Ruth Langsford, and Craig Revel Horwood, darling, we are learning how to be 60. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.